welcome to The First Three Years, a podcast designed to help provisional teachers in the Jordan School District. We are your hosts, Debbie Fisher and Trisha Tingley. We are so glad you joined us. Each month during this school year, we will focus on how to thrive as an educator, even in challenging times. This month, we are focusing on play and create. COVID-19 has presented us with some interesting roads to change. Our students are not only standing six feet apart from each other, but in some cases, they are only meeting virtually. The situation causes us to look for ways to keep human connection we so desperately need during this time. Playing and creating are more important than ever through all grades, K through 12. I had the opportunity to talk with Kelly Flox, director of BYU Arts Partnership, to explore some ways to make instruction more meaningful. We talked about bringing back play and create to all levels of instruction. How do you play and create in math? Well, math is a lot of creativity and it's a lot of understanding space. And I remember when my high school son took algebra and he would come home and say, oh, my, I don't mean algebra, I mean calculus. He'd say, my calculus teacher is brilliant. And he would do the physical actions. He said, today we were talking about rise over run. And he would do the physical actions of the x-axis and the y-axis um, for understanding the, the, uh, an integral in calculus. And she had them moving their calculus metaphors continually. And that's what helped him learn and, and, and embody that. Remember, math is a spatial relationship to things. It describes how things move. It describes how, where things go in space. So if you slow down with your math class and add that into your instruction, um, it's a matter of uh, thinking two-dimensionally and three-dimensionally, and you would put it into their bodies just like you would do if you were in a regular classroom. What my son described with his teacher was that she created a culture where they trusted her, and they too were kids in bigger bodies that needed to move. There was too much sitting. And because it worked, he came home talking about it. And they do want to move their bodies, and they do want something novel. As long as my relationship with them kept them safe and created a culture of humor and lightheartedness, they would explore. And those who choose to watch, just because they're watching doesn't mean they're not benefiting. Um, are there are there lots are there lots that will just choose to watch and and will they will they see the fun and join later? There's a lot of different philosophies about this. I have colleagues who, if they're teaching a workshop, they require everyone up on the floor participating. My experience has been a little bit different. I had a three-year-old in the take a dance class with me for almost a year, and she sat in the corner. She even, I think she even still sucked her thumb. She'd sit there like this in the corner and watch. And her mother would say, should I still bring her? And I said, does she still want to come? The mom said, oh, yes, yeah, she goes home and dances everything you did in class. And I went, oh, this, and the child did grow up to be quite an introvert, and she is a different kind of learner, but she was fully attentive in her watching. And she came back when she was four and had every pattern, all the information was absolutely gorgeous and danced for many years. So her confidence in her body would only build because I gave her the permission to watch. If she'd been forced to move before she was ready, we might have killed that dancer inside of her. But she went home every day and danced all week and then came back and watched dance class. So you have to create the safety that works for the person. 
And with, with um, older kids, like like in my math class, I had I would start a class with some movement each day and and warm them up and and help them and do things that would help them sit them sit in their desks. And they um, there would be a few who would watch, and some would watch on different days than others. But over time, as the class culture evolved, they realized if they didn't get up and move, they had to they sat in their chair the whole time. So there became a, a cost benefit ratio that. Yeah, if everybody else is doing it, why don't I move? Why would I sit here if I can move with everybody? So it, I just let people come to it when they're ready, but I do um, expect them to be observing in a meaningful way. And when I've had students that I think might be abusing the watching and they're laying on their bellies on the floor in the gym, wasting time or kicking other people, then I give them an assignment. You know, after you're done observing, I'm going to ask you these two questions and they need to have an answer for me so that I give them directed observing. Um, and that, that allows that self-authority to maintain, so they retain responsibility for their own learning. How important is the arts in teaching every subject? Um. The body is the primary instrument for living. And we want to make sure the full body is engaged and integrated into learning. And that means sensory integration. That means movement. That means touch. And the arts give you lots of opportunities for those things. So even if you're on Zoom, or live, if you are singing together, you are activating completely different neurophysiology than just talking. The children are hearing pitch, they have to listen differently, they're hearing their own voice, other people's voices, and it brings, it heightens the, the, the sensory experience and deepens the learning. Same with drawing. If I, my most effective Zoom workshops, people are doodling the entire time I'm talking and we share regularly their doodles. Like if they're making a mind map or a web of ideas, if I'm talking, we stop and we share uh, the visual representation of what it is that they're learning. In our endorsement class, they keep going in their journals all of the time. That multi-sensory um, experience deepens their learning. In drama, oh, we did the funnest online class where we looked at body language and everyone in the class got up and they they acted out the facial expressions, the body shapes, the postures and the gestures and what that meant. And it changed how we could watch each other on Zoom because suddenly we were more aware of each other's facial expressions and the distance between us was lessened because we were reading each other in different ways. Um, and, and then, of course, when, when um, you know, dance and movement engages the whole body and the intellect and with those problems. So for me, all of the arts are a way to activate the whole body and the whole learner in full engagement, whether you're in the classroom or online. And it allows people to feel their own emotions because they're using their body, express their own emotions. And that's the beginning of social and emotional health. We can talk about social and emotional health till we're blue in the face, but until we actually integrate principles into our activities that engage students in self-reflection of how they feel, the observation of how other people feel for empathy, until we're actually doing that, we aren't practicing social and emotional learning. And I think that, well, you know, with COVID, um, there's a lot of social emotional setbacks that yeah. this has brought to us. And so I can see how the, the arts and integrating play and, and create into, you know, our Zoom meetings with our, our kids would be essential. 
In fact, even just the idea of touch, um, there's research that shows when a child checks a book out from the library, if the librarian touches their hand when they check out the book, they like the book better than if the librarian doesn't touch their hand. Touch actually changes things. If, if children who are with the teacher touches their back, they are um, significantly more likely to participate in class and raise their hand. Touch changes our behavior. And in the Zoom environment, we have to find new ways to touch each other. So creating rituals where, you know, people hold up their hands and they look at each other in the eye and they say something about other people's expressions. That's a way we can touch with words or touch with intention where we can't physically touch. Uh, we can invite the kids to pat themselves on the back, to give themselves a massage, to wake themselves up with, um, you know, padding. But we want to include touch in those activities and the arts gives us an opportunity to do that. Is there anything else that you want to tell everybody about the arts that would be good for their classes? Hmm. I think that um, one of the blessings of the COVID environment it has, is it has broken all of our norms and it's pushed us to what's essential. And what's essential is critical thinking, creativity, and collaboration. And when you really realize, and good communication, when you realize that those are the skills that um, motivate our souls when we're together, though they're still the skills that motivate our souls when we're apart. And taking the time to, to focus on creativity, do this differently, uh, try a new way, push a new boundary, it renews us, it restores us, it's part of being resilient. And just the act of, of participating in, in um, it, some districts call it the six C's, some people call it the four C's. I, I don't know what Jordan District's vernacular is, um, but participating in communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking. Those skills are just as important now as ever. They are more important now because people are feeling the isolation and they need the emotional and intellectual stimulation. So be creative, um, try new things, Re carefully record what works. For example, in our classes, we have had to go to smaller cohorts. We do all of our discussion in very small groups because it's the only way to have quality interpersonal exchange. So when teachers are trying to work with large groups on Zoom, smaller groups, you know, and other creative options, I think can really be helpful. Our greatest trials produce our greatest results and our year with COVID-19 is no exception. Teachers have looked outside the box to deliver the best instruction they can to their students. The results of this trial have been extraordinary. Hopefully you have heard some new ways to bring back play and create into the classroom. Callie is a great resource. She encourages you to reach out to her for ideas and resources and also welcomes hearing from you ideas of how you've created a classroom full of playing and creating. You can visit her website at advancingartsleadership.com or email her at Callie underscore flocks at byu.edu. Callie's name is spelled C-A-L-L-Y, last name F-L-O-X. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you have found a new desire to plan for play and create in your lessons. Here are a few reminders. Create relationships where students feel safe in an atmosphere of humor and lightheartedness. Movement and singing heighten the sensory experience and deepens learning. 
The full body needs to be part of learning. Social, emotional health is improved through playing and creating. For more information, visit our website at mentor.jordandistrict.org. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. And as always, if you need help, let your mentor specialist know.